It's fine. Everything's fine. Podcast has a yin and a yang. Hello from America. <laughs> it's the Around the NFL podcast. That's my British affectation. I gained sophistication. Dan Hansis with Greg Rosenthal. Erica Tamposi back in the States. And not only are we back in the States, we're back. And I mean, we all the way back, baby. The best as we can be because Mark Sessler is back. What's up, Quiet Storm? Oh, I feel like, you know, this is the second time I've had to um, discuss returning to the show after a, a medical scare. It's getting just slightly old. Um, well, I have second learned. Second time, like, in the last month. Yeah. It, second time in the last month. Too. Yeah, that's... I think probably the upshot is I, I hastened my return um, the first time, which might have been against. Uh, you know, smarter advisement. Um, I have learned the value of having a great nurse here and there. They've been um, a lot of people helped me out during this whole thing, but also I don't know to make it to, to keep it short. Like um, I have, I think, you know, anyone that's been away for any period, our listeners, I've, I have heard from a ton of them and I really thank them for everything that they wrote. Um, it has been a weird month. Like I, my life has changed a little bit um, from a physical perspective i don't need to dig into all that but um it's good to be back here and i i couldn't thank you more the three of you and everyone surrounding you um that handled the tv shows uh the podcast of course the trip to london you guys did an incredible job from what i saw and you know i i did my best to handle any sort of drama that occurred here on on in the states while you were gone very little um popped up but it's it, it also um you know we've done this show for so long and we've had to go through periods where you've got to pitch in and do a little bit more and I know that you guys did that it it really um it kind of it was terrible to be away on some level because just as an aging man um you're watching like your career occur without you kind of um from a distance and I had to reconcile a lot of that and you have a lot of hours alone to think about your life, and I don't think anything for me will ever really be the same, but um, it's, it also is the same in many ways, and so I guess I'm just happy to be back with, um, with all three of you. People should know that Mark is live via satellite inside an iron lung. That's right. It's a wonderful place to be. <laughs> He's live inside of Kirk Cousins' plexiglass container. Oh, okay. Mark, we, we missed you so much, buddy, uh, and the audience did as well and uh, yeah we had a great time in england but obviously it's just you know not the same without the quiet storm so it's great to have you in the mix when you referred to a great nurse was that some pillow talk involving your wife or was that an actual nurse like a a a practitioner of medicine well i won't reveal the former but um on the latter point i i think that you know i probably (laughs) over the over since late august you know, you nurses work three days a week, um, but they work these 12-hour longer shifts. And I kind of think that's an incredible setup. I think maybe I should have been a nurse had it been more um, trendy back in the day. I like Ooh, the I could have seen that. Off. I could totally see you. Yeah, I mean, you have, to, yes. you have to kind of care for people. It's nice. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, having probably 30 of them over the last month plus, 
Um, there, the way, Dan, that you power rank 32 teams, I easily could have come up with an article <laughs> about power ranking nurses, an article that literally no one would have interest in reading, but some uh, really did their, did their jobs with um, aplomb. And I, 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 <laughs> tell us, I would note that right away and appreciate that. Mail <laughs> tell, us, tell us about number 27, Olga. 27, very run down. Um, one thing I've learned is I am a pretty polite patient. I was told that by, you don't want to be a nightmare. Um, sure. But what I learned was that when you're not the squeaky wheel, and I think we this is you know all areas of life, if you have children especially, the non-squeaky wheel gets ignored. So the Olga at 27 would be the type that, you know, on her 12-hour shift, she stopped by three times, you know, and I'm totally dehydrated and fading <laughs> away because you're not the most annoying uh, patient. There are plenty of them. So you've got to get in there and kind of learn the smarts of how to be just vocal enough to get attended to. That's what I've learned. Wow. And what a lesson that is. Uh, Not Mark, that I'm hoping that you have yeah. to deal with that. That's an no, absurd thing. No, I mean, you know. and, and, and you'll, you'll have to promise us not to leave us again because uh, uh, we miss you when you're not here. And, uh, you know, we were supposed to do a show. We were going to take, uh, take a little break on Tuesday because we flew in, got in early last evening into Los Angeles, 10-hour flight after a crazy week and all that. Uh, the plan was to take it easy Tuesday, come back Wednesday. But then some crazy stuff went down. Uh uh, first, of course, the John Gruden news, which we're about to dive into, uh, and then like a wild Monday night game uh, where Lamar Jackson uh, authored one of the more memorable primetime performances in quite a long time. Uh, and with that all there, Greg, it was like, all right, I think we got to throw up the bat signal. We got to get back into the bunker cast uh, su- studio setups at home and rip one off. Football no. waits for no travel plans. No, it's good. <laughs> I mean, this was a wild, um, a wild fork in the road for for two big NFL characters. Well, it might be the last time we talk about John Gruden for, for quite a while. <laughs> I think that's certainly possible. All right, uh, and also we're going to uh, cap the episode by previewing the first game of Week Six. Look how the time flies! My goodness. Mark Sessler's back. Let's do some news. All right. Here we go. John Gruden. Unbelievable turn of events uh, in the NFL on Monday. Uh, the Raiders coach, who's been involved in the NFL for decades, came back, signed a 10-year, $100 million deal with the Raiders uh, to lead them back to the promised land. Instead, after three seasons and five games, he is out as a result of uh, reports that emails he wrote over a 10-year period included racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay language. That I mean, that's the hat trick. If you're looking to get run the hell out of town and your career to be shot, there it is. And he, he did it all. Uh, and, you know, this is a situation that we saw leading into the weekend. It was a story because it was the Demora Smith jabs uh, and the racist tropes and the language he used. And little did we know at the time, but other teams and the league and uh, news organizations, most prominently the New York Times, uh, there was much, much more. And it all came back to bite Gruden in a big way. Um, and he had this statement released on Monday. I love the Raiders and I do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt anyone. Greg, there's 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 long term ramifications for the Raiders. There's short-term ramifications for the Raiders, and we'll get to that. But uh, the central figure here, John Gruden, a towering figure, really, in both 
uh, the sidelines in the NFL and in the broadcasting ranks. He's gone, and he ain't coming back. I, I know. I think of the few days after he won the Super Bowl with Tampa, and Bill Belichick wrote this column, weirdly, in the New York Times. And the column was like, what are you going to do next? And it was basically John Gruden at that moment was as bright a young coaching light as I can remember over the last 20 years. Very similar to Sean McVay, I think, when when he popped up. But if Sean McVay had had won the Super Bowl. And you think about what happened after that in Tampa, uh, after that win, which is mediocrity. And then you think about this run, which has been mediocrity. And then you think about now how it's going to end and will forever um, be connected to Gruden, you know, as one of the first couple lines in in his obituary, how how this went out in the most like embarrassing, ugly, pathetic way possible. And I think when the second batch of you know information came out, which Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, apparently had a, a little bit of an idea was coming anyways, and I think was prepared for it. Um there was no choice for Mark Davis because Raiders history of all teams is the history of inclusion. They they have been ahead of the NFL at every step of the way in terms of diversity, in terms of giving um, black people executive jobs, giving them coaching jobs, giving Latinx coaching jobs, having, you know, quarterbacks in that position, having women in executive positions, the Raiders are such a unique franchise in history, but that that is one of the things that has made them more unique than ever. And so Mark Davis, I think, knowing what his father would do, made a, probably what for him was a, you know, obviously a painful decision, but I can't imagine it was one that was that difficult for him. It was pretty obvious because to, to, to Mark Davis, to Al, to Al Davis, something meant a little more of what it meant to be a Raider. I don't think he knew all of this stuff about Gruden, obviously, when, when he hired him, but he found it out this weekend, and, and that was it. And you move on, and, and, I'm, and maybe we will talk Gruden in the future because there will be lawyers. You know, There will be money disputes, and there will be a lot more that, that goes on just between the Raiders and John Gruden. But un- unbelievable to see a career like that that was once at that pedestal taken out in one of the most I don't know, brutal ways um, and, and deserving ways that like, we've ever seen from a, a figure of that level. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that you mentioned the Belichick letter in, in, the, in the time that spans. I mean, Gruden is one of these figures that, you know, on a football front has been in our lives for decades plus because it wasn't even just the Bucks job. It was him rising up as a colorful character with the Niners in previous roles and just him on television and the persona of Gruden uh, as much as anything else. But I guess, you know, for all of us, you know, character will be revealed. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's it's fair to to look at this from a couple different angles. And, and you're absolutely right about the Raiders, Greg. Um, I, I think there's it's fair to question, even with the Demora Smith comments that came out, why Gruden would have been coaching on, on Sunday. Um, that's for another day, because I think it's pretty evident. Um, because Gruden, you know, talked he talked over the weekend to Chris Mortensen about some of the disparaging Goodell comments. He did not give total details, but you give you get the sense that the Raiders and Mark Davis knew. And you're absolutely right about the Raiders. If I if I feel that I was benefited by one story I worked on last year, it was like spending weeks talking to guys like Art Shell and old school Raiders. And it was Art Shell who became the second, really the first 
um, African-American head coach in the modern era after Fritz Pollard way back when. Um, Al Davis, you know, he refused to play in Mobile, Alabama back in the early 60s because of segregation. He hired Amy Trask, Tom Flores, Carl Nassib is the first openly gay player on the Raiders. The Athletics said it perfectly of Al Davis. He respected talent no matter how it was packaged. And so the Raiders have been a different team than the rest of the league on that front. And I think it's Mark Davis's... Um, really essentially two decades long fascination with Gruden. I mean, he courted him for six years before hiring him. And they talked about the fact that Mark Davis had a favorite laundromat in Tampa because he was down there so often trying to get Gruden back into the grip of the Raiders. I don't know what Mark Davis is doing at a laundromat to begin with. But I mean, you look at all the people in these emails. Underrated place to hang out, laundromats. I I guess so. Just remember, he's also the same guy that got like $8 haircuts at Supercuts and drove around that pop-top van. He's a little different. That's fair. He does things um, in the Mark Davis way. But, I mean, if you go through the laundry list of who was ripped on by Gruden in these emails, I think it just came to a point where there is literally no argument for him to stay. Was there an argument after Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, you're mentioning... Um, Mark Davis and like a decision he had to make. There was no decision. This is 2021, no and and when you're see when you're seeing the the Gaslers uh, used to describe Roger Goodell, the commissioner, and all the uh, anti-feminist comments he was saying uh, about various figures getting opportunities, uh, whether it's on coaching staffs or on the sidelines uh, or um, uh, on the officiating ranks. I mean, it was a, a wrap. But by the time I got to the third paragraph of that New York Times story. Uh, when we got off the plane from London, it was like, oh, well, okay, John Gruden's career is over. And, I, you know, it's like, first of all, Mark, the I can't believe Belichick writes a letter about John Gruden, of all people, and you still can't get a letter back from Gruden from Belichick after all the great things you sent him back in the day. That's <laughs> on my radar. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this, too, because Gruden, you know, his stripes were revealed, and he said uh, over the weekend there isn't a, a blade of racism in him. Um, these emails obviously – say otherwise, uh, not just racism, but all other kind of repugnant thoughts uh, that he should have known better. Even if you have that inside you, you have to be smarter. And it makes me think, it makes me think there are a lot of coaches, GMs, owners, uh, scouts, uh, up and down the NFL ladder on this morning being like, what did I send? What did I send? What emails are out there that are connected to me? Because John Gruden did not send that from an NFL account. He sent that from a personal account to his old buddy, Bruce Allen, his old henchman, who was with Washington, and he was dumb enough uh, to be sending all sorts of things uh, from the official Washington account. And uh, that is just something to uh, just to wonder, what is there going to be more fallout from this? And it wasn't a Gruden investigation. This is all connected to the Washington football team investigation and all the misconduct that was going on there behind the scenes under Daniel Snyder. So, uh, that is an element of this story too, like the shockwaves that come with this, because again, Gruden, Greg, towering figure in this league. And if he could be taken out, uh, and be exposed this way, maybe there's other people too. Well, right. Cause you only send those emails cause like it's a normal thing to do at the time. That's the thing. People were like, well, this was 11 years ago. First of all, the man was in his late forties, 11 years ago. Like what is this thing? It's like, well, you know, he's, gr- he's grown since then. It's like he, this is a grown man. Let, let's let's stop with the like. This is eleven years ago. That that's that's so different. But it's just a look. It's not a it's not a surprising thing. There's tons of racist and homophobic and sexist people in all 
in every in every business, especially the higher up you go. And especially 11 years ago, everyone, you know, people felt comfortable expressing that. It's like a boys club. And and in at that level, it's a rich it's a rich white boys club. And so that's you could scrub all these emails from different accounts and and that you would find it. The fact that it's only out there because the the owner of the Washington football team was found to um be responsible for a workplace uh that condoned and essentially supported sexual harassment and assault all sorts of things and even even these emails where they're talking about sending pictures uh between Allen and Gruden is part of that the fact that it's only coming out because of that is is really wild because we haven't seen those emails and Dan Snyder we talked about it on this podcast it was a on one hand like a in a, a incredibly embarrassing moment for him to be taken off the day-to-day operations of Washington uh the football team that he owns on the other hand his wife is running the team and that the last year and a half since they hired Jason Wright has basically been like a year and a half long press release of like how we've changed as a team as recently as a couple of months ago she you know his Dan Snyder's wife is on the Adam Schefter podcast and it's basically doing PR about like how tough it is on them. And you would just have to wonder like, are, are more of these coming out? Cause that was the bigger, that was the bigger story. Gr- Gruden, Gruden needs to be wiped out and everything, but that, that was like the bigger story. And it, it is fascinating that the NFL is officially asked, you know, taking this moment of the public paying attention to this story again and ask for them to release the emails. And so we'll see if that there's enough public pressure uh, for the NFL to consider well, any of this. Because there's a lot of people like guessing who the sources are. I don't think you can do that. I and mean, it's just like, it's impossible. There's no I mean, another, another big aspect to this story is the targeted nature of it. I think we all agree that what John Gruden did was absolute grounds for immediate dismissal, and he's gone. Um, we all feel, I mean, we don't all know a lot of coaches personally but the coaching community um, is a circle. Uh, no one's fired for long. Um, it is an old boys club, although that's changing, you know, on minuscule amounts. Um, but at this point, I think that like we, you'd have to assume that if you heavily vetted all 32 head coaches, this is my guess that uh, 20 plus would be in serious hot water, if not, if not more. I mean, I think some of your younger coaches are coming up through a different um, prism and portal. But Gruden belongs to a time period where that was completely different. And on the on the Washington front, I mean, the completely separate to what Gruden said, they went through six hundred and fifty thousand emails. Um, you talk about a group of you know rich whites that essentially run things, but there's another layer of it, and it's the ownership because the report on Snyder was given to the league in oral fashion. It was not um, written. This is a league that did a 243-page written report on Tom Brady using inflated uh, footballs. When it comes to the players and what they would call the coaches and the players, and it was said way back when that those are the cattle. We can get rid of them. We can replace them. The reports on those people are thorough and rich, but there's no written report on what else was found in this Washington investigation. And I mean, there needs to be much more push for that because we're talking about a level of ownership and Mm. leadership that goes above the coaching level. Mark, you return and right on cue, a conspiracy 
is a foot maybe in the NFL. Uh, not to make light of the situation, but it is, uh, there are layers to this and, uh, it is going to be interesting how it all turns out in terms of, yes, what else right, comes out. You can get out. rid of coaches. You can't get rid of owners because I think if you could. Right. Well, you can. They, they, Jerry Richardson they, will tell you you can, but it takes a lot for he, it to happen. He, he stepped down. You know, I think if you could. Then we would have different ownership in Washington, or at least if they felt like do they you, could. Because do you honestly have, think, Greg, that Jerry Richardson steps down by choice there, or because he doesn't have it? He option? he stepped down because he was, um, completely embarrassed, and his career was in flames. Now in Washington, in that he just felt like it was the you know he was pressured and he felt like it was the right thing to do. What I'm trying to say is Washington, there's first of all been many moments where publicly in Washington that you could have said that, but that they've resisted the public pressure there. I mean, before any of this workplace stuff. But yes, I think there's probably been pressure in various fashions, certainly publicly and through the media on Washington to change ownership. But I, I would tend to surmise like privately too. And it's never happened. It's never happened because there's there it's a it gets very complicated. That's that's in theory a boss of the person you're trying to push out. You know, they they're the boss of Roger Goodell. Right. The penalty for owners is you hand it off to a spouse or a daughter or son or some family member who can take over for you. It's not actually new control of an owner of of a team for the most part. And now spinning back to the Raiders side of things. In the short term, this is the situation. Uh Rich Bisaccia takes over as the interim head coach, and that is a very tough gig. Uh, the Raiders, I mean, how much things have changed? He's assistant coach, Versace. He's been around forever, just like all of Gruden's guys. And um, two weeks ago, the Raiders are 3-0 and in one of the big stories in football, and the Raiders are a vibe in that building. Now the vibe has changed around the Raiders, and you just will see what happens. Is this a team that now goes in the tank? Uh, do they kind of follow whatever path they were originally on? We're going to see what happens in the short term and in the long term. And this is also, this is something we'll, we'll find out as time goes along, but it's almost unprecedented. Um, Gruden wasn't just the head coach. I know Mike Mayock is a general manager, but this was Gruden's team. He was the face of the Las Vegas Raiders. He was the face on the sideline. He was the boss. He had a major hand in the personnel side of things. Uh, might it, may, maybe even above Mayock, most likely, yes. And all of a sudden, over one weekend, you pull that guy out, and he heads for the curb. And as an organization, it's like, oh, boy, now what? I mean, this is maybe not an episode of now what on the Around the NFL podcast, but that is exactly what the Raiders are probably wondering right now. What do we do next? Because the entire organization, in a lot of ways, was John Gruden, and now he gone. Right. So that's a huge story, too. Right. Who's even they at this point? They is the team for the rest of the 2021 season, who was 25th in DVOA through five weeks. It was won a couple close games, was pretty poor the last couple weeks. You know, it has some things to like about it. Has a quarterback playing really well, but has a quarterback playing really well in the system that John Gruden ran. Right. That you know he was with him for four years and if there was one positive thing about this John Gruden second tenure I think he called plays pretty well and the players that were there in his offensive system mostly Carr improved but it's it's not a good team on paper you know it's it's probably a, a mediocre or, mm. or less than that mm. I know they well, lost you, the last two games and DVOA DVOA means everything to a lot of people, but I think the Raiders no, it are. Doesn't mean everything. A competitive I think it's just team, like an underlying thing yeah. that they were a competitive but pretty average team. Flawed, you yes. watch that team. I feel like Carr is playing at a top five or six level, and he's carrying a terrible offensive line. 
uh, and they give up a lot of big plays, certainly defensively still, even if they're like a little better. It's it's just crazy um, because Mayock has to assume he's not going to be there next year. Of course, he'll he'll try to do everything he can to make it, um, but it's going to probably be a new coach that Mark Davis hired. A new coach isn't going to want that GM, and it's just not how things work generally. You You could almost assume that everyone associated with this Raiders coaching staff is not going to be there next year. And that Derek Carr, who's under contract for very cheap, that'll be that'll be up to the next coach. Well, and also their team president left. And I know that kind of stuff flies by like our radar to some degree, but he essentially, Mark Bidane, the team president, left uh, in under rather, you know, mysterious, like, surprising like circumstances. There were four executives too. And people right. were chattering about like, what is going on with the Raiders that all these executives are leaving in like ignoble circumstances. And it leaves Mark know. Davis to have to rebuild, you know, the vision of the team from scratch. I'm not sure that's the first owner I'd pick to do that. Um, his vision was John Gruden and John Gruden, to your point, Dan, running the entire organization with, you know, who would have ever put money on Mike Mayock outlasting John Gruden? It took something like this. And uh, the Raiders are in free fall because it's administrative side and coaching football side that they've got to dig their way out of. Ricky, last thought. Go ahead. I just think there's a couple of, th- obviously, all of this is so important. One, this story drops on right before Monday Night Football, which something Gruden was heavily involved in, which is interesting. Two, yesterday was National Coming Out Day. And so to think of some of his players where we have the first openly gay player on this team, uh, to kind of see this stuff, not to mention the black players on this team and, and all, you know, Roger Goodell has told stories about defending his gay brother from bullies in the past. And there was, there was name calling in that there's so much that goes into this. That is so crazy. But one thing that I've seen that are, is so interesting to me is there was reports that the league brought this to, you know, Mark Davis on Friday and he still showed up and he still coached Sunday and then Gruden resigns on Monday. And, and as much as I want to say like, yes, this team is so forward and, and so great. I I do find it interesting as how Gruden resigned and how he even coached on Sunday. And I just, I just find that yeah. very peculiar. I, w- I wonder because Gruden, now that we have the benefit of a benefit of hindsight, um, Gruden alluded to the Roger Goodell thing, which seemed kind of random at the time, Greg on the way to the airport yesterday, even kind of said that was random that he brings up Roger Goodell as if to say, Hey, listen, it wasn't just D Smith that was getting it. Well, that was all calculated, uh, as it turns out, because he knew this was on its way out. I wonder if he thought, okay, I'm probably going to get killed for this Goodell thing too. Uh, but I, I heard the reports out that the league is not going to fire me as of Monday morning it was being reported or it was late Sunday night that he was probably going to be okay. Um, uh, the league office was probably not going to le- do anything serious in terms of suspension. I wonder if they thought, oh, we could handle this fire and completely misunderstood how um, how this the was league- going to come off. Right. The league wanted Mark Davis to do it for them, um, which it makes sense on some level, but they just wanted him to take care of it. And feels like Mark Davis obviously was surprised by this. And, you know, he, he took the couple days, and I think there's also legal ramifications of whether he, you know, contract ramifications of whether he's resigning or whether he's fired and whether it's for cause and all this sort of stuff. And, and yeah, they probably gave him the weekend, basically the New York times or something. And then, it, and then the rest of it comes out and, and they, they force his hand. It's crazy on the brighter side though. Mark will win some sandwiches. So, I mean, that's, yeah, let's, that's let's wait, put a stick a pin in that. We're going to close the show talking about that, Ricky. And as a 
as a gay woman and as anyone else that has um, was uh, really taken aback and insulted or hurt by what was in that email. I guess you could take, you know, they let him coach on Sunday. Now they're getting heat for that. And the team no-showed. They lost anyway with Gruden. So that's one last note connected mm. to that. All right. Well, the Spice Rack would say that they're going to win this week, that when coaches <laughs> get disgraced and fired, that the team always responds, according to the Spice Rack. College football, NFL, he believes that the fighting Blasachias are going to go to Denver and really uh, give a great effort. That often oh, well, happens. So, yeah. I don't yeah. think that's the case with, with this Gruden situation is a little different than firing at, you know, firing a tired, you know, one in 12 um, non-creative coach that players don't relate to. <laughs> Gruden had supporters in that, that building. And that's also, uh, you're telling half the story, Greg. I won't no, this say is specifically. Sec- this is the second part of the I story. I know, that's He would have said part. to pick against the Raiders Sunday, and now he would have said, go with the Raiders this week. So yeah, but Greg that, shared that, it with me trend. going into the weekend that when there's heat around a team on a sensitive uh, subject, Spice Rack also has a separate rule. You got to go against that team when there's heat in the locker room, potentially a hot-button topic. He was right about that, and now you have to trust the spice we'll rack we'll if, if you're a desert that. person because uh, the Raiders are going to be fired up under Rich Basaccia. Let's hit Monday Night Football right after this. Jackson takes the snap, looking over the middle, pumps once, throws. Sessler's back. Caught. Drama. Game over. The haze in the barn. And the Ravens have won it in overtime. No. Lamar Jackson throwing spirals. Better talk than talking about John Gruden disgracing himself and his family, including Deuce Gruden, who's still on the staff. Ravens win 31 25. Uh, Ravens 31 25 in overtime. They were down 22 3 in this game. It was over. They were down 25 9 in the fourth quarter. It was over. Only it wasn't over. Because Lamar Jackson had the greatest passing day of his life. He went 37 of 43 for 442 yards and four touchdowns and uh, marched the team back with three touchdowns, uh, uh, 16 points, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and then the walk-off uh, touchdown on the first possession of overtime. And, uh, Mark, this game was... Bonkers. First of all, let's we're going to get to the Colts because that's a stomach punch loss. It's one of those stomach punch losses. And Frank Reich's a really good coach and a good motivator, and he's got that locker room tight. But like some losses, you don't bounce back from, even if you're in the AFC South. And I just wonder how the team reacts to that to fall to one and four. But on the Ravens side of thing, just the the comeback, the way it unfurled in the fourth quarter, like just like the the fact that they throw a touchdown pass uh, to. Uh, Mark Andrews, then a two-point conversion to Mark Andrews, then another touchdown pass to Mark Andrews, and then another two-point conversion to Mark Andrews, and then get the ball on the coin toss, and and the Colts came and put up a resistance. It just, it was a done deal once Jackson got rolling, and you can't pay a better compliment to him than he was completely unstoppable when the game was hanging in the balance. Yeah, and you know, Harbaugh called it one of the greatest performances he's ever witnessed, um, and I don't think that's hyperbole on on any level and I I was watching this um, you know as a Browns fan but at some point with the Ravens um, you just have to give it to them for for who they are to me they feel 
uh, like a team of destiny. And I think it's because they're led by a man of destiny and Lamar Jackson. And you look at their week two win over the Chiefs. Um, you look at the Justin Tucker uh, field goal against the Lions, and you look at what happened last night, a game that seemed completely out of hand. Um, the Ravens really, I think the story would have been had that just kind of finished in a different way, that the Ravens Ravens are finally crumbling around some of their injury issues and stuff. Um, but instead, Lamar Jackson, and I think there was a part of me, and I don't know if, I, I'm sure you felt it a little bit, that once they got going, for me, I've seen too many of these um, primetime games go completely out of whack and turn into a star view for someone like Lamar Jackson. I was like this they're winning this game and I did not say that, you know, like with 2 minutes to go. You could just feel the tide turning and the Ravens are a team that when they're clicking, they're Mark Andrews, they're, they're Hollywood Browns, their star players are just simply a higher class than a team like the Colts and they turned it on and to me what happened like Calais Campbell um you know, essentially Huge. changed that game. That guy is 35 years old, 6 foot 8 and a complete game changer and a perfect signing that shows you who the Ravens are. I look at this team and I just say, look at, I realize they are not um, potentially as talented as the Chiefs on some level. Um, they might not be as, um, you know, nouveau riche as the Chargers are at this point. Everyone's in love with Brandon Staley. I told you that in January. I, I leave for three weeks. Everyone's got a huge man crush on him. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but Lamar Jackson to me, it just, I was like, what does this remind me of? And I know that we draw this comparison almost to a tired extent, but it was sitting in my living room, um, in the nineties as a high school into college, uh, person watching Michael Jordan get into a billion fixes. And every single time you're like, you know, this is going down to the last minute. You know that he is going to take care of whatever adversities come his way. And Lamar Jackson talked about entering into a state of total calm in that game, that the players around him believe it, that Harbaugh basically, you know, two weeks in a row is saying, we're going to go for everything. And it's because of this one player. And he came into the league completely doubted. And I think it's a perfect season for him to cap you know, this entire thing with a Ravens journey that no one's ever expected this season. I mean, I, they, they've been a Came little into bit the overshadowed. season doubted. Anyone doubted entirely. Even yeah. weeks ago that he's been figured out. And, you know, you look at their running backs. They ran for like 25 yards last night. Had we known that four weeks ago, you could have projected a Ravens team that just was going to crumble in on itself. But you cannot when you have this talent inside this locker room and on the field. Lamar Jackson is everything the Ravens could have hoped. And there's literally no ceiling for where they could wind up as a team. They're not, they're not a perfect team. Like we shouldn't have said that they're crumbling if they had lost this game to the Colts, and we shouldn't say they're a perfect, or, you know, a fixed, complete team just because they keep scraping out these wins. They remind me of the '03 Patriots, and Lamar's starting to remind me of early career Brady, where every every game comes down to this insane ending. Everyone thinks they're lucky, and everyone can't you know believe quite that they managed to lose the game and they can't figure out how and why and you know the reasons the quarterback usually and the coaching because of these margins and they make their own luck and it's almost like the Ravens have went into this season Greg Roman and Lamar and they went through every checklist of criticism that Lamar had as a passer and they're like our goal early in this season is just going to be to shut everyone up about that like we can't play from behind okay we've done that three times now uh, two from huge margins again, you know, on in in prime time. Uh, Lamar can't win from the pocket. Like last night, those weren't easy throws to go thirty-seven for forty-four. Those were a lot of tight window throws. Almost all of them were from the pocket. Even like the winner to Marquise Brown, like that's kind of a typical throw in that uh, scenario where it's like it had to be exactly on point. It was on point, and then it was like, well, he's 
he's only really can throw that well because they're so good and the run sets it up. Their running game is stunk this year, other than Lamar. Lamar's eighth in the league in rushing, but they're running. They haven't done anything running the ball. They are one of the pass heaviest teams in the NFL, and they're they're great on offense. So it's like they've gone through every checklist. Lamar's doing that individually. The rest of the team needs to catch up, and then they could be really special. And you know the. Yeah, the Brady parallels, we'll see. We'll see about that because Brady came out of the gate winning big games uh, when it mattered most. And they're obviously very different physically because, for instance, Lamar Jackson accounted for, for 499 of the 523 net yards. The <laughs> I just mean the other teams being like, what the hell happened no, here? No, yeah, one thought that, no one thought that Patriots team was any good until gotcha. they actually won the Super Bowl. And I, he's been... I, this, see, we're talking Lamar because that's what this is about. Like He's such a unique player in the history of the league, the recent history of the league, because he came in number 32 overall, um, the fifth of uh, the quarterbacks drafted in that first round, I believe. That was the Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen, uh, Josh Allen draft. And uh, he takes the league by storm in year two, wins the MVP, um, has these disappointing January outcomes that have cast a lot of doubt on his ability to be a big time player but then you have games like last that game the primetime game in, against Cleveland last year and now this game where like when the lights are on and everyone's watching he plays at his best so it's just kind of it, it's strange to put that this version of Jackson who's unreal when everyone's paying attention to the performances we've seen in January where he and the Baltimore offense have been so vulnerable. So there are demons to slay for Jackson that he won't get a chance to do until January. But I don't think there's any question, barring injury, that they're going to be there. And maybe as the number one seed in the AFC, as high as that, or as the, de- oh. or as the defending champion um, of the AFC North or the new AFC North champion, because... That's the ceiling he brings to the team. And I thought that was just it was just a reminder of his greatness, which is kind of unique in our league. Yeah, and I mean, when you think of the Ravens, like there's this innate trust. If you've been watching their consistency since they came into the league way back when. And I, I just look at this team and, you know, look at it's weeks. We're entering week six. A lot can change. Everything can change. But who couldn't the Ravens beat in the AFC? And why wouldn't we look at them and say that there is mentally, they're built mentally, the Bills, from coach the Bills to quarterback? Fans are, are annoyed we haven't mentioned them yet as like fine, the, Bill, but the Bills, no, the, the Bills, Bills ab- I mean, the Bills are number one of the power rankings for me. Right. I love the Bills, but you can't tell me that the Ravens can't beat the Bills in Orchard Park in a big spot they because could. I could see it. They could beat anyone. I mean, they and you know what? Peyton Manning was dogged for years about like not a playoff winning quarterback. He's shiny. He's a regular season. Think peace. We love him. But Lamar Jackson simply will knock down those bowling pins at some point because he didn't lose those games for him on his own. That said, you look at that Chargers game from a couple years ago, he got totally unplugged. So the Greg Roman, He's Lamar be Jackson, yeah, they're going to have to find yeah. a way to come a up rookie, with new surprises. a rookie quarterback. We're seeing this year what, what it's like for most rookie quarterbacks. Who step into the lineup? No, but it's not just his rookie. There's last year too. No, I know, but that he—he's saying that's a thing. That's a—that's a fair critique. His January performance that he's going to have to deal with. But to Mark's point, yeah, Peyton Manning. Nobody says that anymore. But for years, that dogged him five or six seasons before he finally got rolling. The the game-winning drive, though, to me was amazing because it wasn't spectacular. It was just him in the pocket picking out the right mismatch every play. So, you know, second or third read very often. It was all from the pocket. It was there wasn't a lot of spectacular plays on that specific drive. Like 
Mark Andrews is, you know, he, he's been dogged. I mean, talk about not showing up in the playoffs. Mark Andrews in the playoffs turns into John o. Smith on the Patriots. That's what Mark Andrews has been in the playoffs. And he was making incredible catches last night. Marquise Brown is on pace, and I hate this because of the 17 games, so I don't even know what to say on pace. Let's pretend that season was still 16 games. Marquise Brown's on pace for almost 1,500 yards, and Mark Andrews is on pace for about 12 to 1,300. That's the type of yeah. passing game. That's the thing that's crazy is that they're just a, like a totally different style You take offense. out those three drops by Lamar, by uh, Brown two weeks ago, and he has been outstanding <laughs> this year. He's, he's been great, everything right? they ever he wanted him be. to be. Uh, he's really he's really made the leap. And, you know, on the other side of the ball, that yes, Indy could still bounce back. And if you want to if you want to try to be positive, you say, OK, Carson Wentz, man. I thought he played well in this game. Uh, they moved the ball. They they really dominated this game in a lot of ways uh, for the better part of three plus quarters. Uh, but this is one of those losses that, you know, and any diehard fan um, knows what I'm talking about when I say this, when your team really, really blows one and uh, it ruins your day or your night, you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and then, like, within seconds, you remembered what happened, and it's like getting punched in the stomach <laughs> oh, again. Oh, it's a terrible feeling. <laughs> That's every Colts fan uh, in this country and beyond because, I mean, given the, the spotlight game, the island game, the, given what it meant to get, if they got to two and three, what it could have meant for their season, uh, to let it all slip away. And it reminded me, Greg, you know, yeah, all due credit to everyone on the Baltimore offense on that last possession in overtime, but that was like Super Bowl 51. If... If they call the wrong uh, heads or tails, and I think it was Wentz that called heads, goes tails, it's over. Once once Lamar got the ball to start, that defense was a mix of being gassed and not being coached up by Matt Eberflus because they had no way to stop the Ravens on that last possession. What happened, by the way, on that coin toss? I mean, I you know there was no like LSD inside my body or anything, but I swear I heard the Colts Carson Wentz call heads, and it was heads. And then Baltimore got the ball. It did, in, in, I thought it said he said heads and it landed tails. Then that's, I was that's how I was spaced out. So I you, saw tweets about it too that people were saying that like oh really that it was right. I got a bunch of tweets about it like you know but I'll go back and watch I that again. I feel like again. the Colts probably would have brought this up. If it was like, <laughs> you, you think know, they so, might have? Wentz might have, have like, might have said they hey, might have. They beat guys. They have one thing to add about tonight's loss. Go watch yeah. it again, though. It's something right. audio-wise. Well, it was like was a odd. trick of a of sound. Maybe like it was you actually the heard the Ravens. Sound. The Ravens guys say, "Then we got heads." Or I don't even know. I'm not gonna. Yeah, they they're fine. I mean, I don't know what the point Wait, of the AFC South is. The Colts are fine. I, I don't. They're not so fine. Hard. Trust me, they're one in four. They're just, and just they're just average. One of the they're, worst games you know, in the last twenty five years for their organization. They ain't fine. No, their de- their defense is is pretty mediocre. Teams do change. That's one thing the Ravens have to feel great about because I think as much as any team other than the Patriots and the Seahawks, they are usually better after Thanksgiving when it matters. That's when the hey. season starts. Like That's they, they usually improve the, the Ravens. They usually figure out their weaknesses. I think the Colts could too, but it's like, what's the point of the AFC South? It's just like, as, as Mark would say, uh, prove me wrong, but they just feel like whoever's going to win that division is going to be cannon fodder uh, in January. And once, once I'm glad people got to see that all the Wentz, you know, critique this year. Like he's been okay. Reich's he feels more comfortable with Reich. Reich was in his bag like 
uh, play calling last night. They just don't have a lot of juice, especially defensively. I mean, if you knew that Wentz was going to throw for 402 yards with two touchdowns and have the first three quarters <laughs> that he did, and that, that that aspect of the story would essentially be buried like it was hidden inside the Warren Commission, um, you'd wonder what was happening in the fourth this quarter. This is a big but mark, was... mark trope is like, if you knew before the game that it would be four. But has anyone ever like brought it up to you before the game and be like, hey, <laughs> Um, Carson Wentz will have 400 yards in this game. So, what do you think is going to happen? Has anyone? Well, I don't have those. Like I don't have win. those type of forward-thinking conversations with people. But if you want to make a case for the Colts, we knew their early <laughs> schedule was tough. You now get the Texans, a 49ers team that feels like you could deal with them, I'm, the Titans, the Jets, and the Jags. So you can climb kinda, back in. But go. I just don't buy them, though. I don't yeah, buy kinda, them on like, any level. I'm I buy them with, as like a seven-win team, though. I'm kind of with Greg. Seven that, like, and ten. It doesn't matter. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. I mean, this was this would have went a long way into um, really spicing up the division race, and the Titans are so mediocre that it might still be okay, and they'll be battling it out the two of these teams in December in terms of for supremacy of the South. But you know, these are Hammonagers when you look at the the greater picture of the NFL. Uh, but sorry to Colts fans. That was Can bad. I tell you one thing that I honestly yeah. affected me emotionally because this person. Um, feels like every eighth guy friend I had growing up. And he's so um, nerdy and lovable, and I want to just give him a big hug, is Rodrigo Blankenship playing the GOAT. He's clearly hurt in that game. Um, Rodrigo Blankenship, if you look him up on Instagram, has Rodrigo the Collector, and he's like a huge Lego head um, and sci-fi nerd, and he does these Instagram live like hour and a half long um, chats with fans where he'll just sit at his table in normal clothing. Looks like he lives in a totally normal house in Carmel, Indiana with his wife. And he just does like nerdy Lego stuff. And it's something about him on a football field. We all get it. He doesn't, he looks a little atypical with the glasses and everything else. And he weighs about 108 pounds. But for him to play the goat, um, hurt you, me emotionally. You remember, I didn't like that. What don't you remember our Christmas special last December when we dug up his old blog when he was in high school and college where he's just burying his teammates? Uh, for letting him down that. in a big spot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we had. We, I don't Christmas recall. Carol well, music. maybe he's maybe he's great. much more you know sinister um, on just, the surface. He looks cute. And like this, a cute whatever person. this injury, he is. He's adorable. Whatever this injury is, and I don't. Oh, he's, yeah, he's dealing like six, with a hip injury. He's like six one. He's a big dude. What are we? Well, the injury up? was Calais Campbell, but yeah. So like, what are we setting up for a forty nine yard field goal with a kicker with a bum hip? Like, what is going they, on with these coaches? That was a conservative moment. I I remember that well. They ran for the first down. Uh, with a sneak uh, or they tried to sneak it. Then they got the third and one and then they ran it three, t- three times uh, to set up that field goal, including, including on, including on third and eight. They ran right. it. Nine that was set- some, that was some uh, Kevin Stefanski uh, running on third and long. No, no right. so- sorry, buddy on Sunday when you're, the, when you're in the, when you're in the forties, don't be running on third and eight. That's all I'm saying. No, I feel like he got, he had like his brain stolen from him because that was a very, anti-Stefanski thing. And that brought us down to 25 missed kicks for the first time in an NFL week since 1987. And I saw Ricky's comment that um, the kicker club maybe needs to be, I I guess it would be sort of shut down. You put one of those huge uh, balloon things over the house or over the club to kind of eradicate it. it? Yeah. yeah, Just the bugs and evil spirits. It's the, this week it was the shit kicker club. It was just, you know, it is what it is. We'll, we'll be better, but you know, my, and it was an all time record for missed extra point, 13 missed extra points. Again, I had this right, you know, just like Wes had it right about pass interference. And, uh, Mark, you had it right that Brendan Staley's a God and Greg had 
something right that doesn't pop in my head right now, but throw it out there, Greg, as an example of you being right. Been, Lamar Jackson right. last Lamar Jackson. Right. He loves Lamar. Um, Come on, let's move these PATs back to where they were. This is ridiculous. What are <laughs> Them we doing? missing, they would say, is the point. That, that exactly. Actually, and does it enrich the game to you? Does, they, do they, the hard they make work 94, of all these men going They make 94%. The I was always no. for eliminating the play. Uh, that was what Bill Belichick was for back in the old days, uh, either making it longer or eliminating it. Eliminating so we're down fine. to We're down to 91% PAT uh, conversion. And meanwhile... As we saw, especially if you have Mark Andrews on your team, but uh, two point conversions have never been easier in our league. I think it's in the range of like sixty three percent. So now it's sixty three ninety, and it's like, oh, that makes the game better. And now just go for two all the time. Well, I don't know. Maybe you do the thing, and Matt Money Smith brought it up today. Uh, maybe you do the thing where you just get rid of the Wait, PAT. You guys have a show together. We do power rankings every Tuesday, three p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on NFL. He's Network. still pronouncing your name incorrectly, though. I noticed, and maybe on purpose at this point. Hands. We did. We had a we had a conversation about that on the show today on power rankings on NFL Network, three p.m. Years Eastern, into the Pacific. show, you're finally tackling that. Um, no, that just make it uh, just make it a six point score, and um, and then you get a chance to go for two, and that's it. I think what he said actually is you make it a that's seven. That's what I point said score. on our show three years yes. ago here when we had this conversation. No, you were all like, "Oh, make extra points hard, push it back." No, further, if you're going to do it or eliminate it, yeah, you make it seven, and you either. Yeah, you either uh, keep it or you go for two and you, you, make you it either seven, gain one and lose one. Right. And if you make it, it's eight. You, but the idea that a coach would look at a scoreboard, especially these older guys, and take a point off the scoreboard, it's just they would never do that. The extra point used to be when you'd get up and get a beer or you'd go urinate if you're someone that does that. That's all of us. Um, that you don't even look <laughs> at the extra point. And now it's like anxiety ridden and you must sit there and stare at what chaos is to come. Yeah. Can we right. clip off Mark saying that? The whole urinate—that's all of us. Yeah, thing. I really like that. Yeah, most yep. do. Maybe you, maybe you did, overdid it during the snack time, the food time of the tele, of the telecast viewing experience, and you need a longer trip to the bathroom. Do you want to elaborate on that, Mark? No, I mean I think it's a universal um, human thing that we all do. But like you would, you wouldn't get up um, with Lamar Jackson on the ten yard line. Extra point. Back in the '90s, it was like "see you later." Extra point, right? I need to but watch I mean, this. back in you know when the if we're gonna go like history, let's back when it was created, it was like the extra point you know percentage was probably like forty. It was like most of them, you know, you know they, they had to come off of their con, you know construction worker These... uh, shift, and they're just like kicking it into the line of scrimmage. <laughs> well, were, to your point, Greg, much at all in youth football, and you know that I played uh, Pop Warner back then. In you, would, you would you would run a one point play. It would just be a play. But if you had someone who was like nine or ten on your team that could kick an extra point, that was worth two because it was like no human can do that at that age. I now combine all the Mark Sessler pre NFL uh, life experiences into one event. So he was playing Pop Warner in Surrey, uh, England, and the games were played on the grounds of uh, Camp Happiness on the banks of the Colorado River. A factual jungle. You've totally missed missed the point there. All right. Thursday Night Football. Let's move to week six. Not Camp Happiness. What was it again? No, I think that was Lake Camp Wilderness. There is a, I worked at a place called Camp Jewel up in the Berkshire foothills that you transformed into Camp ha- I don't think any place can assume that that's what they and should then, be calling themselves. And Camp then the Jewel. other new thing, not that it happens a lot. And by the way, I love having you back, Mark. Not that it happens a lot, but sometimes we'll be at a social gathering and Cecil will be there. And then uh, my buddy Bob from the Throwback Podcast, he'll be there and his wonderful wife, Heather. 
who I love will be there. And she also grew up in Connecticut and also went to Camp Jewel and her friends went to Camp Jewel. And then it's just like, where's Mark and Heather? It's like, oh, they've been talking about Camp Jewel for three hours and they're texting people they haven't seen in 27 years. Well, no, she actually, she did um, an incredible bit of gumshoe work. Mm. Um, She found, she was friends with the sister of one of the most pivotal um, early life girlfriends that I ever had. So as I was talking to Heather about Camp Happiness, which is not the name of it, um, we were, we found out we had similar friends, and it was this GF from like the early 90s. It was a shocking bit of news. So Heather is a huge ally on that front. I w- it would have been... It would have been cool. Well, if we were in London, if all the people, all the friends and family you made in Surrey, like came up and told us, you know, they missed you and stuff like that. You've made Tons of friends. I was two. Oh. There was no end to the friendships. I miss being you, built. Mark. I missed you so much. All right, we got Thursday night football coming up right after this. All right, here we go. Hit it, Priyanka. There she is, Priyanka, and I know you're something in the city. Yes, Thursday night football begins with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to Philadelphia to face the Eagles. I don't know. Is it just me or is the Eagles? I feel like the Eagles play a big-time team almost every week. Uh, tough schedule early on, it seems. But uh, the Bucks 4-1. Uh, the Bucks are doing what we expected the Bucks to do. And uh, my favorite stat of 2021 was on the plane. We had a 10-hour flight from Heathrow to LAX yesterday, and um, that's a long time. That's a very long flight. Uh, and we, and I just cranked out for six and a half hours power rankings, 3,400 words. Oh, I, I read, like, the entire internet uh, in my preparation uh, for it. And the stat that, that I loved the most is as follows. From a gentleman. Hang on. I'm finding it. Greg Alman of The Athletic, formerly of the Tampa Bay Times, in his write-up on the game. Sunday marked the sixth time in 25 games with Tom Brady that the Buccaneers have scored 44 points or more. The Bucs had scored 44 points in just, just six times in their 44 seasons before Tom Brady's arrival last year. Oh, by the way, Tom Brady is 44 years old. It's 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 mystical, Mark. What Tom Brady has done in Tampa Bay, but that stat six times in twenty five games, forty four points. The previous forty four years, the Bucks had done it six times. That was a Super Bowl team in there, and some good playoff teams, some bad teams too. But that is bonkers. Yeah, I mean, we talked about forty on the reg a year ago, and that became um, essentially true. But it's like you don't trust teams necessarily to carry over who they are on offense from year to year, but you do with Tom Brady in this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And now they, they get the Eagles. They had a couple down-ish weeks offensively uh, that had a little bit of you know people having some concern. You know, you only put up 19 in Foxborough, and, and you lose that game convincing. And a driving game, range. They're just, they're just ridiculous. We've seen what this Eagles defense, which was very frisky last week, played great. Um really won that game for them against Sam Darnold. And, but we've seen what they do against the, the best offenses in the league. Like most defenses, they just they get run over. They get they lay down. I mean, the Chiefs scored a touchdown in every possession but one against them, and the Cowboys went, walked them up and down the field, and Tampa is, you know, every there's every reason to believe that they'll be able to pinpoint mismatches. And so then you're asking Jalen Hurts to try to keep up 
I want him to play a little more. Hurry up. He's at his best in that. I, I still hear that like Nick Saban thing that Peyton Manning talked, you know, that he said in the Manning cast of like, why doesn't every team play hurry up like all the time? Because it really, it really sucks for defenses. And when Jalen Hurts plays hurry up, they are a lot to deal with. They are like the one team in the league, though, where it just feels like they pass so much, even though they're so good at running. It, that it blows my mind a little bit, but this is a matchup where the Bucks, because they're so good stopping the run, it's just like a pass funnel, and then most most teams don't even try to run against them. I'd like to see them try though. That the Eagles are the number two team in the league in terms of passing in in neutral situations. The Chiefs are the only teams that pass more, and yet they're fifth in the league in yards per carry. They they have a good running game. They have these big guys up front, and they have a great running quarterback, and they haven't really integrated it. Maybe this isn't the game to do it, but I feel like that's the only way you could try to keep up here and slow it down a little bit. I don't know if this is the game, though, at all. I mean, if there's one opponent, one defense in the league that you look at and say, let's, um, we can try. But Surprise them up. for once. No one's well, even trying but anymore. It, well, I, that's fine, but there's a reason people aren't trying, too. I mean, they gave up yes. negative one yards rushing two weeks ago and 39 against the Dolphins. And I get that the Dolphins, uh, you know, you've got Jacoby Brissett in there. It's a tough situation. But they were also 8 for 11 on third downs. The Bucks. they had the ball for 37-plus minutes. Um, they're dominant. And you look at the Eagles, and I, I thought actually that was an incredibly resilient second half and had a lot to do with their defense. But Hurts, um, you know, like they, that, they had 13 yards of offense over their first seven drives, the Eagles. It took them a while to shake out of, um, you know, their slumber. But I thought that Hurts, down the stretch, asked to make a couple big throws, had a big one to Dallas Goddard. Um, to help set up the win, and then an incredible two-point play where he threw it to the back of the end zone to Devonta Smith. And I, Hertz just does it all. I mean, I, I know that some of these games, like he's not looking, you know, like Lamar Jackson in terms of the overall functioning offense. But I, I understand. Like it feels like the Eagles are still in this referendum period with Hertz. And I think in 2021, he does a lot for you, um, and he keeps growing every week. Is he? Is their offense is not the same as Tampa's on any level? But I think it's their defense with Darius Slay who woke up last week javon hargrave who's playing awesome right now i mean it's the same old thing you've got to try to get to lock it up i'm not locking this Um, this game on any level i'm not totally psychotic but if you're an eagles fan you really take positives out of sunday because there there was some questions starting to percolate in philadelphia about nick sirianni if whether this team is disciplined enough under him if, if they have their Poop together is another way to put it. And then in the final five games against the quality Carolina team, we don't know how good the Panthers are, but they're pretty good. Uh, they get a block punt. They get a touchdown drive on a Hertz touchdown uh, run. And then Steven Nelson um, picks Sam Darnold uh, to win the game. So that's positive. At the same time, now you get a short week. I know you get to stay home, and that's good. But um, I don't like having to deal with uh, this Bucks team on a short week when you're kind of a middling uh, middle of the pack team. Now I'm not going to lock it up. The the mirror test it is on the edge of the mirror test. It is a, the desert says this really? is seven points. Oh, yeah, no. so um, I don't yeah. do seven. I don't yeah, it's do seven. Be under seven. It's be okay, uh, so then nobody can lock it up. But uh, I'll say this: this is interesting. Richard Sherman, who you may or may not be aware, is now on the Buccaneers because you know why not? <laughs> Just collect all the stars, uh, even if they're past their prime. But he approached uh, Leonard Fournette, Fournette at halftime on Sunday against the Dolphins, even before the game was out of hand. But I think everybody knew it was going to happen. And uh, Richard Sherman, who was a member of the Legion of uh, Boom, of course, that 2013 Seahawks team was one of the best, I think, of this uh, century so far. 
And he told Leonard Fournette that he'd never been part of a team with so much talent. And Fournette responded, and he told the media, that's how we know this, this is different. That's what he said about the Bucks, And that's what I think that the Eagles are going to learn. I think this is a, a double-digit blowout type situation. Yeah, I tend to agree. And Hurts maybe makes it interesting late. But Brady just eats his own coverage now. And that's all the Eagles do. Your boy Lenny that you're talking about, He's running great. My he boy. is. Uh, I don't know. You. You know. He's, I don't. Uh, I don't, you know, I just, don't have an opinion on a, one way or the other. It's all the story of him. I've never <laughs> seen him look as good as he has the last three weeks. He, even early in in his career, I don't think. Like maybe that. You know, being around all time greats makes you better. Funny how that works. Hmm. True. True. <laughs> true. All right. So check that game out, Colleen Wolf. Um, I think Colleen would have been on the show today to preview the game, but now she's doing the Split Ends podcast. With Ricky Hollywood, and uh, now Rick, now Connie has to make some hard decisions. So in an indirect way, our own producer is undermining our show. Your thoughts, Erica? Incredible. Uh, yeah, I disagree with that. I think, um, you know, originally we weren't going to do a show, and she had planned otherwise. And then, you know, with this news, we changed it. So, uh, you know, scheduling sometimes can get in the way. But, but to, but but to Dan's point, Ricky, like it did tire her out to such an extent that she was unable to appear on our show. Speak on it. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> is always on the schedule, and that was a planned time. Always say, Erica, and... when in doubt, you could also always just say, screw you guys, and disappear, because your, your answer too. was fine. The first one was fair. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Okay. Screw you guys. <laughs> Will she be sitting with Tom Brady? That That is something that I thought about um, earlier today. You know, it's who, which... I don't yes, know if Tom, with her. Uh, he's Tom. I don't think Tom is Tom doing Thursday night football. He like doesn't, yeah, he doesn't do that. It'll be like Gronk. Well, if Gronk might play. By the way, Dallas Goddard got COVID, so or he's on the COVID list, so he might not play. That would be amazing. Gronk might. Maybe maybe Tom does a a solid. Uh, what well, about he's not Gronk doing and Tom? For Roger, you do What's Gronk that? and Tom. Gronk and Tom together. Right No, Gronk does Gronk does Aaron Andrews after the game, but he won't come out to the podium. You can't do Antonio Brown because he's problematic. Um, Gronk might not play. So you basically, <laughs> you got to hope Chris Godwin has a good day or JPP, someone that, that the fans can really embrace. Lenny, it's, playoff Lenny. Tough scenario. Fun. John Gruden, out of the league, understandably, justifiably so. Antonio Brown, a celebrated superstar in the league. It, it's weird how things are sometimes, that's all. And, well, and, and t- Antonio to, to Brown... Point, yeah, well, the ahead. youngest player in NFL history to get to 900 catches, and he's like been out for long stretches of time. I, it's kind of well, incredible games, how good I he's been the last the, couple I, weeks. I could be wrong, but I think it might be in terms of games played. I could. Be All right, wrong so they're that. not they're not mm. just taking but what's your point? You like said to long your point, stretches of absences. Your point that being that out. he was able to get back into the league because he's so damn good, right? It looks More awesome right now. And maybe, like, if John Gruden had made the playoffs the last three years and they're coming off an AFC championship game appearance, you know, I'm cynical enough no to want, I'm cynical enough to wonder what if everything would happen in the same way. You know, yeah, whether it would well, all come out, did, whether the information, everything could be different. Like, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to do the, I hope not. Kind of do a, you know, blind AB test, but, you know. I mean, we we had a point on this podcast where we would have been totally convinced Antonio Brown was done in this league forever. I mean, Chris, yeah, you know, Chris famously rating. stopped rooting for the Patriots um, for good once they signed <laughs> Antonio talking to you Brown. For a week. 
You know, yeah. Like in in like here he is, you know, winning Super Bowls back with the same guy and everyone's just like he's the same guy. He's not he's mm-hmm. not a different guy. Well we've got new and things so to many. be outraged about and you know, Antonio Brown's in the deep distance. Should he be? Different question. Those emails were terrible. Well, go read about Antonio Brown. It is a sliding scale. Um all right. Big Ben, like come on. Mm-hmm. Well, had that his six game suspension reduced to four and who were they playing in week five? Take a guess. <laughs> That's another. I'm glad we're hitting for the cycle of Mark. Uh, and also, Ricky, it's like just he's so you coming know, back with a bang. I love that story. I love um, that just so you know, Ricky, uh, if you didn't mention Big Ben in the next 12 seconds, Greg would have. Yeah, I wanted to be. Do we just want to play the game? All right, Jameis Winston. I mean, do we want to keep going? Okay. I mean, we they, could. There are. There are for, see, speaking of sliding scales. Yeah, yeah. There we all go. right, here we go. Before we say goodbye, um, speaking of all the controversy, I, the, the fact that. The listeners are so into this. Uh, it cannot it cannot go the episode without bringing it up. I mean, Mark Sessler. You know, when I when you think about the sandwich game, by the way, I think about Mark and I think how he's last in the standings. But that doesn't matter. He's kind of like to use a baseball analogy, the the true three outcome type hitter, where it's like, yeah, he's going to strike out a ton, going to walk, and he's going to hit a, a lot of home runs and. <laughs> Mark's going to run into one every once in a while, and he sure did here. Because, Mark, I'll set it up here. Two of your sandwich props when we made this at the beginning of September. A coach will resign during the season. Boom shakalaka. He resigned, not fired, and he gone. But Mark was rooting for something like this to happen. Well, and not just that. You might get two coaches, by the way. You've got a, you've got a long way to go on Urban Meyer here. And not just that. A top story involves an NFL cheerleader. And yes, one of the allegations within the report that doomed John Gruden was Bruce Allen, area slimeball, sending uh, photos of Washington cheerleaders from a, a calendar shoot to John Gruden. They're part of the story. Thousands Topless. of... It's the only reason why we know this story at all. Really I feel is. like I got dozens of... Uh, tweets people like you got to give mark this one like i i'm the judge listen some of these things with mark some of these ones that were close they were just that close and he didn't quite nail it and we couldn't give him the sandwiches but there's nothing you missed on this one marky that is also a winner that's three sandwiches and you are joey gallo good sir that's a walk-off yeah i mean i you know when it when it started to erupt during monday night football like my mentions were going crazy, yet the dynamic of making those Mark's type of sandwich props. No, I mean, I maybe privately I was thinking, this is totally bizarre that this is happening right now, and, and nothing feels real in general. Um, so this, just tack that onto the, non, the non-reality of the whole thing, life. But um, like, what, you can't openly celebrate it either because it's come through um, horrific circumstances. Well, right, no, but stuff. it has to be satisfying for your predictions um, that were that came true um, because someone made like horrible, bigoted, hurtful comments, and that uh, <laughs> cheerleaders were sexually harassed. That basically. Greg, that's you know, how that, you that must, spin it. That must be satisfying. That but that's how you spin it. But when I when didn't I you do, miss Greg, Mark? I really did. I mean, that's that was about as Greg a response as you could drum up. But uh, I said it at are, the time back in August. How can you root for this? Well, but when you but you like so I guess the other maneuver would be when you're doing sandwich props, it would be. 
let's just come up with delightfully uh, rose gardens, delightful spreads of good news. But that's not life. I can't, you know, I can't control what I, I spent the night right. before coming up with two or three things that stuck with me, and then I dismissed them, and they kept coming back. And the cheerleader thing, which really was just a footnote in this report, a, a terrible one, but um, maybe not as central as I suggested early on. But you can't control what um, comes into the yeah. mind. You're Greg, whether it's good news or bad, you know. You're Sestrodamus, Mark. And there's a story. I love Nostradamus. There was a um, good HBO special in the early Maybe. 80s hosted by Orson Welles called The Man Who Saw Tomorrow. Ah! Um, I've seen that. <laughs> and amazing. Keep this music pumping, Ricky. Um, and in that HBO special, there's a story that always stuck with me. It involved Nostradamus, the famous French astrologer. The stories about his ability to predict the future were starting to grow and spread from village to village, and he was invited to a banquet, and the host attempted to trick Nostradamus. He said that there would be a black pig and a white pig, and he asked Nostradamus to predict which pig they'd be eating. Nostradamus said, the black pig. So then the host, all sneaky-like, all sneaky-like instructed the cook to prepare the white pig. Later on, while they're eating and enjoying dinner, he challenges Nostradamus to state again which pig were they eating. And Nostradamus said, the black one. So the host, all proud of himself, calls in the cook and says, which pig are we eating right now? And the cook says, well, while preparing the white pig, it fell from the table and was devoured by dogs. So they had no choice but to serve the black pig. Nostradamus knew. Mark Sessler always knows. Well, one and the same. Mm, I'm hungry. That's how this works. That's just <laughs> fixing for some pork. All right. Good to have you back, Mark. Here's the schedule. We're right on schedule. Considering, you know, we were just in England yesterday. There's your Tuesday show. We'll be back Thursday uh, with the week six preview show. The television show's back as well, getting just monster ratings. A huge hit all across the world, uh, the Around the NFL broadcast. I have no actual data to back that up, but just let's work under the assumption. Also on Sky Sports NFL on Saturdays, um, same program that right. you know, shows uh, the NFL game, shows Overtime, the show we, we joined last week. Lots of great programming. I, I'm slightly concerned that ratings, did ratings creep up or high, spike while I was gone? That would be, am I still allowed onto the set for this or have you found a better um, we'd rather group, you have that you know. conversation with our producer okay um but uh yeah we'll, we'll leave it at that um so yes the back friday with the television show and then of course sunday night uh the recap with the the, the gang back together good stuff all right let's go dan hands is signing off for the quiet storm he's back baby the old boss Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass until Thursday. We'll be back in the studio. Heed the call. 